This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello and welcome to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Thank you for joining us and for following Working Like Dogs on Instagram and Facebook. We're your hosts. My name is Marcy Davis and my co-host is my amazing service dog, Lovey. And we're excited to be with you today to talk about our favorite subject, working dogs and working animals. Um, And today we're excited to be welcoming Chris Goodyear and her Black Lab um, service dog, Raylene, to the show. And Chris is a freelance travel writer. And she's also the co-author of the new book, Traveling with Service Animals by Air road, rail, and ship across North America. So how awesome does that sound? And we're really thrilled to be talking with her today about her new book um, because we really want to hear all that she's discovered and has to share with us about traveling with our service animals. So come right back after these quick messages as we welcome Chris Goodyear and Raylene to the show. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E.com. When we put him on the Dynavite, he took right to it. All of these symptoms disappeared. Dynavite is nutrition. If you want the dog to be healthy, you got to feed it something healthy. Something that he actually likes to eat. You need to put him on Dynavite. Dynavite for life. If you love your dog, you don't just want him healthy, you want him to be happy. You won't believe how happy your dog will be. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. We're so excited to have Chris and Raylene. Hello, Chris, and welcome. Well, thank you, Marcy. Raylene is right here under my desk in her usual spot. And we're both delighted to be here. Awesome. Well, first of all, tell our listeners, before we jump in, tell our listeners about Raylene um, and what she does for you, just so we can get an idea of that, Chris. Okay. Well, Raylene is a hearing assistance dog. She was trained by Dogs for the Deaf in Oregon, which is a wonderful nonprofit that's now known as Dogs for Better Lives. and. Raylene actually began her career as a dog whelped by guide dogs for the blind in California, but unfortunately, she failed the vision test. She had a little cataract, and that disqualified her from working as a guide dog for a blind person. So she was given to Dogs for Better Lives, and they retrained her to become a hearing dog. So she came to me in 2014, so we are now in the sixth year of our partnership together. Awesome. Well, I'm sorry that she had a little medical issue, but maybe that worked out the best for both of you guys so that you could be partnered with her. And we've actually had uh, Dogs for the Deaf on our program before, which they are 
are an awesome program in Oregon and do amazing work. And yes, love their new name, Dogs for Better Lives. I love that. Yeah, they expanded their services and felt that the name reflected their work with uh, dogs for children with autism and also for the facility dogs that they place. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I remember them talking about that they were they were actually doing more than just training hearing assistance dogs. So that's wonderful. Yeah, we'll have to check back in with them and get them to come back on the show and tell us about what they're doing these days. But we're so excited that you're with us today and really excited to hear about your new book. So how did you and your co-author decide to write a book about traveling with service animals? Well, You know, when your dog goes through training and you go through training, which is really the biggest challenge, when you learn how to handle a high-powered animal like a service dog, you're really focusing on the basics. And there's not a whole lot of time to talk about the frills, so to speak, like what are you going to do if you want to take your dog on a cruise? And so I had been traveling all my life and I thought, well, I'll give this a try. I'll investigate what's involved. And of course, the first issue is where is my dog going to relieve herself? So that was a basic question. And I started researching. I found out more that the ports of call had certain requirements. And I just could not find a comprehensive directory of any sort that could really reassure me that I was doing what needed to happen to take my dog on a trip. So it was kind of um, scary, really, but we made it. We did our first trip in 2014. So then after that, Dogs for Better Lives would refer people to me if they inquired, "What, what would I do if I wanted to take the dog out of the country? So they would ask, would you give this person some advice? which I was happy to do. And that's how I met Henry Kaiser, who is a wonderful, dynamic guy who retired after more than 30 years as the book critic for the Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Daily News. Even though he was profoundly deaf from childhood, he made it work and he had a stellar career, was nominated for a Pulitzer Prize, and is just a terrific individual. But Henry was going to take his dog on a cruise, and we began talking. And Henry said, well, I've been thinking about writing about taking my dog on train trips. And that's a whole other subject. And he (laughs) said, you know, we should really write a book together. And so that's how it came about. Perfect. Well, I have to ask you, where did you go on your first cruise? Let's see. I think we went to St. Bart's. St. Croix, Grand Cayman, maybe. I forget, but uh, quite a few Caribbean ports. Oh, that's wonderful. I have taken one of my service dogs on a cruise as well, and I totally agree with everything you were saying. It was like, what do I need to do? What kind of paperwork do I need? And it was really a little confusing. I would get different answers from people about what right. I needed. It was a little daunting, especially, as you said, trying to take them out of the country. That certainly became a whole nother layer of things and concerns about that. So, you know, what do you think is the best 
thing about the uh, the book, because I know it talks about all of North America. It talks about not only the United States, but outside of it. How would you recommend that people use the book if they're trying to plan a trip? Well, what we've done through working with our wonderful editors at the University of Illinois Press is come up with a list of summing up points at the end of each chapter. And so a person can quickly flip over and find out in the chapter titled In the Air, they can see bullet points and that might lead to questions that they want to find solved in the in the text. And there's a chapter on the basics, one about on the road, riding the rails and at sea. And then there's a lot of detail on that annoying paperwork. Right. <laughs> right. I know I wanted to ask you about that. And I had to giggle when I when I read that you guys were leaving that at the end because <laughs> that is not the most fun. That's not the most fun thing about getting ready for the trip is making sure you have all that paperwork. So how did you really address that when it's it can be different depending on the destination or the country that you might be visiting? Well, we discovered that there's one great resource, and that is the United States Department of Agriculture, which has a division called APHIS, A-P-H-I-S, which stands for Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service. And APHIS is really the USA's version of a, an official governmental authority. So they interact with other countries, and they have a great website. People can type pet travel APHIS and up will pop a drop-down box. You can just look for your destination, let's say Mexico, and it will tell you what you need to do to provide the proper paperwork for that country. Having said that, it changes constantly. So It sure does. People, yep. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Mexico, for example, very recently decided they no longer needed a certain complex piece of paperwork and that they were happy with just uh, a health certificate. Now, all trips outside the U.S., the basics are always going to be getting a health certificate for the dog from your veterinarian, and that form is titled 7001. So a 7001 International Health Certificate is your basic document that airlines and cruise lines are going to expect you to produce when you check in. And number two, of course, is a rabies certificate that's up to date. And so those two will get you a long way, plus whatever country-specific form is needed. And the last time, Chris, that I traveled out of the country... Um, and what I learned the hard way with that international health certificate is that it couldn't, and tell me if it's still this way, but when I did it the last few times, I actually not only had to have my personal vet's signature on that, but I also had to have the USDA that you just mentioned, that U.S. Department of Agriculture, I had to have their vet's signature on it. And I learned that the USDA has a vet for every state. So is it still that way? Yes, to some extent. And that's a real hassle, to be honest. Some countries simply want a, a national authority 
stamp and seal that piece of paperwork. So what we recommend in the book is to work with, to find yourself a U.S. Department of Agriculture accredited veterinarian. That's a good start. And they can be found on that APHIS website I mentioned. There's a list. And once you have yourself a nice APHIS vet in your hometown, they are the ones that can issue health certificates that then need to be endorsed. And as you said, each state sends their paperwork to a different endorsement center. So in my case, I live in Florida, and the nearest service center, they call them, is in several hours away in Gainesville, Florida. So I have the choice of taking my health certificate and driving for hours, or I can send it by overnight mail, hope that they will process it quickly, and send it back to me by a return prepaid envelope. And once that happens, which usually is very close to departure day, then I can breathe a sigh of relief. So you're right. There are some destinations that not only require vet to issue a health certificate, but it has to be countersigned and stamped and all very official. But yes. We, we tell people, make your life a little easier because that's pretty simple. All you need is a health certificate and Alaska and U.S., Canada, no problem. So. That's a good start when you want to take a cruise. Start with an Alaska cruise. The paperwork is so much easier. Yes, and that's exactly what we did. We went to Alaska, and like you said, that was super easy. And boy, did my service dog have a good time. But there were some things that that we had to do um, in preparation that I want us to talk about. But we are going to have to take just a really super quick break and hear some important messages from our beloved sponsors. And then we're going to come right back and continue talking with Chris Goodyear about this wonderful new book, Traveling with Your Service Animals. So come right back. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. And we're visiting today with Chris Goodyear and her dog, Raylene. And we're talking about the new wonderful book that she's the co-author of, Traveling with Service Animals. And we were talking before the break about 
traveling on a cruise with your your service animal and and we were talking about you were recommending that someone should think about a cruise to Alaska where you can literally have an experience that's low stress, low planning. But what would you say, Chris, after you do that and you're thinking about taking your dog out of the country, whether it's a cruise or or another trip, how would you recommend that someone really plan for that? What all do they need to do? Well, in addition to researching your itinerary and uh, what the paperwork would be. One of the issues is where is your dog going to relieve itself? Now, thanks to wonderful apps like yours that tell people where they can find relief stations at airports, there is the issue of what are you going to do if you're on a train? Because most of us are familiar with very quick stops. People jump on, they jump off, and away the train goes. So we have one whole chapter on what you do if you're riding the rails and where are you going to find relief stations. But you also have to prepare your partner, your dog, for what they're likely to encounter. Because let's face it, the training organizations are working on their tasks and the skills they need and their behavior. So once they're out in the world during their actual job, what's going to happen when you take your dog to a cruise ship, look for the relief box, and it's full of something strange, let's say. (laughs) It it might be paper pellets, or it might be mulch, or maybe grass sod. But your dog is going to have to be ready to hop into that wooden box about four feet square, and do his business. Now, dogs don't always want to do that. <laughs> we give a lot of tips in, um, in sort of a rehearsal scenario where you can build your own relief box in the backyard or on your patio and put some mulch in it and reward the dog for using it. And we all know how to reinforce the right behavior with our service dogs with treats and toys and praise. So if the dog goes into the box, that's the first step. Then if the dog pees, that's even better. And ultimately, you hope you can get your dog to release himself on command in that strange little box, because that's what you're likely to find in airports and cruise ships. Yeah, it's a challenge. And I I really appreciated the rehearsal information because that's one thing that I've learned over the years is the more I can prepare my dog and get them to have those experiences at home where they're not stressed and where everything is very familiar and comfortable, it has really served me well when we're in different environments and traveling. I know one of the first things that I had to do was really to get my dog to learn to relief themselves on a disposable pad in an airport, you know, because when I was traveling internationally, as you said, you know, I just didn't have enough time, especially with all the security in place now. It was really hard to get all the way out of the airport and get back through security to get back to make a connection for another flight was impossible. 
So I had to, exactly. to learn that. Yeah, so that was something that we worked on to get them to do that. And it was challenging and took a while. But now they have, as you said, they have relief areas, especially in airports. And now some of them are behind security, which is great. But as you said, it can't even be artificial turf. It can be sawdust. It can be so many different types of materials that and so many other dogs could have used those already that it can be very challenging for our dogs to do that I know lovey does not like to do that she's like <laughs> I'm not doing that here I know <laughs> so it's it's a challenge so I love that you guys covered that I also love that you talked about how to prepare for a trip to Disneyland with your assistance animal. I know that's a another popular destination. Tell us some thoughts that you guys shared about that. Well, one of the things we did when we wrote this book was get input from a lot of people with a lot of different disabilities and a lot of different dogs. And I think we had maybe 30 people who gave us their best wisdom about the ups and downs of their travel. And one wonderful woman, Diane Erhausen, who lives in California, who I've never met, but I feel she's one of my best friends because she has um, has taken such a proactive approach. And she took her dog, whose name is Henrietta, Henry for short, who's also a black lab. Diane took Henry on short trips to prepare Henry for what it would be like to be on a long plane ride and a long trip and a full day at a place like Disneyland. So Diane talked to us, and, and we quote her in the book, about what Disneyland offers for people with service dogs. And she was pleasantly surprised with some of the services that were available. And she, she mentions that in the book. But she and I agree, and she says this, it's like traveling with a child, in a mm -hmm. way, because you can't exhaust your partner. You can't fail to keep up with their need for water and a break, and you can't take them out in the, the worst heat of the day and the biggest crowds and expect the dogs not to eventually get a, a little bit tired out. So, you know, Diane gave lots of good suggestions for pacing yourself, and that's true whether you're at Disneyland or the Grand Canyon or anywhere you go. Don't try to do everything at once. You know, start early in the day before the crowds are out. Try to stay close in instead of, you know, miles away where you're going to be driving and driving before you even get to the action. Mm -hmm. So lots of good tips like that are in the book pacing yourself and planning. Yeah, it's so helpful. Yes, and also temperature. You don't want to, you know, be out have your dog out in the heat of the day at Disneyland on that asphalt for hours and hours. That's not a good idea. Again, being respectful of your dog's needs I think is is really important. So really appreciated those tips in the book. And what packing tips do you guys offer? Well, one basic thing is I would say bring all your dog's health records because what if you were unconscious and your traveling companions had to tell a vet some answers about the dog? So bring all the health records. I keep things in the glove box, even up the car. So that's a basic. And obviously, if your dog eats a certain type of food, 
that's not readily available in every little grocery store. We suggest bringing a whole lot more than you think you might need. You never know. There are travel disruptions. Yes, that's a great tip. We also suggest speaking with your vet and asking about medications for places you're going. Just a sort of a dog first aid kit that would cover eventualities and maybe inoculations for certain destinations. For example, if you're going to take your dog to a hot climate, you may want to have them vaccinated with the leptospirosis vaccine. And since I live in a hot climate, we do that every year and keep it up to date. And a lot of Caribbean countries require it. But we also suggest things like pack an extra leash. What happens if your leash breaks or somehow, you know, is lost? Just um, kind of take the kitchen sink. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's traveling with a disability for me anyway. That's what it feels like I'm doing. But I agree with you. And I actually keep a little packed bag inside my suitcase that's Lovey's bag. And I do exactly that. I keep an extra leash. I keep an extra water bowl. I keep all an extra set of things that just stays in my suitcase. So it's always there and always ready to go. And I also do take extra food. I agree with you. You never know when you're going to have a delay in a flight or something that may change and extend your travel. So I always try to take extra medications or vitamins or whatever she might need to have a few extra days in case our trip gets extended. So I love that, that you're getting, especially people who are new and really haven't had a service animal for a long time, it can be a learning curve where you have to to really learn those things. And unfortunately, trial and error usually is how we do it. So that's what I love about your book is it gives that information. So hopefully you don't have to learn by as much trial and error. So tell us about what emergency advice you have for your readers and our listeners. Well, you know, the law changed, fortunately, for things like hurricane shelters, so that at one point, people were told they could not bring dogs, and even service dogs, there was very limited accommodation for them. I live in a hurricane-prone area. Other places, the Midwest, there may be floods, and there are challenges wherever you live, fires, but our country has become more enlightened in that People, for example, who are evacuating in a flood are permitted now to bring their dogs. And certainly that's a step in the right direction. Shelters make provisions for pets. Uh, So there are dog-friendly hurricane shelters and so on. But, you know, once again, from a handler's point of view, I recommend getting a, a large plastic bag and putting all the dog's documentation Put in a photograph of the dog in case, God forbid, the dog got separated from you or perhaps in an automobile accident. If you have a little emergency kit of information, you may be able to cut through the time involved in making sure your dog is safe. That's excellent advice. I love that. Yeah, it's really important to have that. And I know I have a big hot pink folder that I have that in that I that zips 
so that my my documentation is safer. And I I agree with you. I do keep some things in there in that folder in plastic so that they can stay dry and, and stay protected. Because like you said, it can really save you a lot of time and getting your dog the assistance that it needs right away, which can be crucial sometimes. I've been on travel. I know I went on a trip uh, and my dog actually cut his paw while we were out and that, and we had to get to a local vet. And I learned through that trip that I need to also, which I do now, pack booties for my dog. So I make sure I always have a clean pair of nice, durable booties that my dog is used to wearing so that when I'm out traveling, especially if we're at a national park or we're out someplace where there might be rocks or places that my dog might have some rough terrain, that they have those boots to protect their feet. And that's but that was that's another so- trial and error thing. But, but boy, I don't leave home without those in my suitcase now either. That's a wonderful tip. I'm writing this down. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. I love those little boots. Now I buy it. Yeah, I always have a few pair. Yes. Yeah. Well, we're just so thrilled that you could be with us today. I could talk to you all day, Chris. Um, But before you do have to leave us, can you tell our listeners how they can get a copy of the book or more information about the book? Is there a website or how can they do that? Well, it's available on Amazon, and so it's simply traveling with service animals, and we're we're very happy that the book has gone into a second printing, and so there's quite a bit of interest from service dog organizations that do train our, our dogs, but I would also say it's a valuable resource for people who work in the hospitality industry. Because we all know they don't always know what to do when a dog appears on the scene. And they'll say things like, well, does your dog like children before, you know, <laughs> before, before they can get on a bus or something? Uh, there's just so much of a misconception. So hospitality industry people, but also the working dogs that you represent so well, the dogs that um, work for professional police officers and, and all sorts of working animal roles, if they have to take the dog outside the U.S. for business purposes, I think the book will also be useful for them, too. So, Amazon.com. Wonderful. Well, it is a fabulous resource. Thank you so much for you and to Henry for writing it. Uh, We love the book and and thank you for all the wonderful information that you've shared that I know so many people with service animals and people who will encounter service animals, as you mentioned, will really appreciate it. So thank you so much, Chris, for being with us today. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure and a privilege to be invited. Thank you. And thank you, our listeners, for being with us. We just love that you take the time to spend with us. And we hope that you'll continue to keep those emails coming. I love hearing about what you and your service animals are up to. And if you have any questions, you know, I love to hear your ideas for shows. So please keep those emails coming at Marcy, M-A-R-C-I-E, 
at PetLifeRadio.com. And you all know you can follow Working Like Dogs on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we just love seeing photos of you and your working dog and the amazing and incredible work that you're doing every day. So thanks so much for being with us and take good care. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.